Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode... Bitter Remains. Some men think the phrase, till death do us part, is a prescription on how to end a marriage or failing relationship. One such loser is Grant Hayes. When his relationship to Laura Ackerson, the mother of his two boys, was deteriorating due to his drug abuse and philandering, and she was seeking custody of the boys, he decided butchering her was the obvious solution. In this episode, we delve into this heart-wrenching case of domestic violence taken to its all-too-often final conclusion. So good morning, folks, and welcome to another edition of Murder Most Foul. My guest today is a return appearance by Diane Fanning. She is a national best-selling author and an Edgar Award finalist. Um, and uh, the book we are talking about today, as I say, is Bitter Remains. Uh, so uh, welcome, Diane. Thanks for having me today, Jim. To lead off, one of the things that you know attracted me to this book is I spent a couple of years in my youth as a uh, legal advocate for uh, domestic violence victims. And as I began to read this, the first even just couple of pages of setting it up, I went, in my mind, this is sort of classic domestic violence, uh, but with many different twists. And uh, so we'll take it from, why don't you give us a little bit of a layout of the cast of characters? Beginning with Laura Ackerson. Laura was a graphic artist who had had a relatively irresponsible life for quite some time. She was getting her act together and she now had two little boys and she thought she was married to the father of those boys. And she was trying to build a life for them that would be good and lead them to a bright future. Grant was the father and he was a musician. He uh, often did drugs. He worked late at night because he's playing music that's only natural. And he liked to move about the country. He played in a number of different cities as well as in the Virgin Islands. And he was trying to hook up a gig in Hawaii. So she felt that her little boys needed something a little more stable. She wanted to have custody of the boys because she didn't think their father's lifestyle was really very helpful. However, she was not opposed to visitation because she thought they should be able to see their father. And then there is Amanda. Amanda is an actress who didn't do so well when she was in Hollywood. And she uh, met... Grant, while Grant and Laura were in the Virgin Islands. 
Amanda was portrayed to Laura as a sort of benefactor type who was going to help lift her career, his career, and help him um, establish prominence in the music industry. Well, in fact, they were having an affair. And when Laura moved back to the United States, to North Carolina, because one of the boys was sick and needed medical care, uh, the affair continued on the island. And when Amanda was sort of thinking, you know, maybe this has run its course, she and her daughter moved back to New York. Well, a couple of days later, Grant was on the doorstep. And not long after that, when the oldest of, of the two boys went up to visit their father in Manhattan, there was a trip taken to Las Vegas and a wedding picture was sent to Laura. And Grant told Laura, we were never legally married because I didn't sign the license. And so there she was looking at her little boy standing beside another woman and the man she thought was her husband. And it was like suddenly a threesome. And the battle for custody began. It's again, this is from the book Bitter Remains, that uh, Grant's first wife uh, told Laura when she found out she was either just becoming involved with him or, or was going to marry him, quote, run, run as fast as you can. Now, we know that exes, you know, and that's explained that they go, oh, they're bitter and whatever. OK, so there was that. But there was um, Grant had quite a psychosis. I use that term about that the aliens uh, were, were controlling him or now again, that's probably we don't want to again gloss over the amount of drug abuse was huge cocaine binges and whatever so not as an excuse but to put this is then you add to that a, a volatile personality and tell us about the bb gun incident he asked laura to do something when she argued with him he shot her with the bb gun and then while she was doing things coming in and out of the room he kept taking pot shots at her and it hurt, and she asked him to stop, but he thought it was very funny. And uh, he really did think that as a man, and as particularly as a chosen man, he was superior to women, uh, superior to most people, actually, but really felt that women had a role to be subservient. And so he thought it was totally appropriate to just do whatever he wanted. And if he wanted to shoot her with a BB gun as she walked across the room, he did. And he also at one point suggested, uh, in his mind, very, you know, it was not a joke, that they, hey, maybe the next step in, in my life is a polygamous uh, relationship. He had this bizarre belief that um, in order to rise in the world and gain power, he needed to have multiple children from multiple women and set up basically his kingdom on earth. And that when the aliens came, he would be elevated 
And uh, he, yeah, he just had this bizarre idea of what uh, his place in the world was and a bizarre idea about what the world was in general. One of the um, unusual and yet sad things about this tragedy is that Unlike some women, um, Laura had a good support group. She had her best friend, Heidi. She had her parents. She had her brother all ready to help her out with a place to stay when things were, were really running rough. And I, and kind of odd, she had a ally um, in, in, in a young woman named Shay. Yeah, Shay was the daughter from a previous marriage of Amanda. And she was now an adult. She had worked with her mother down in the islands. And she uh, realized when she was asked to get an apartment in the same building as Amanda and Grant, that part of her responsibility is to watch over those kids. And she knew things weren't right in that house. Uh, she knew things like... Uh, Grant would sit down with his four-year-old in front of a gory, violent movie. And that just isn't appropriate for a small child. And so she wanted to do her best to try to help these kids and to help her mother. Her mother was kind of falling apart, too, because anything she had of any value Grant was taking and pawning so that he could do things like go out to Hawaii and, and uh, lay around and look for musical entertainment opportunities. And he, he'd fly to different places to meet with people. He was very convinced that all he had to do was meet the right person and he would be nationally prominent overnight. And yet, uh, one part in your book, you do mention that, I mean, a lot of these were gigs that were paid maybe in the beginning uh, and hit and miss, someone actually giving him money to play. Other times he'd just play like people can play at a bar with a tip jar. And it was, you point out that, uh, you know, he'd get tips and by the end of the night, he had spent the entire tip jar on drinks. So he'd walk off with nothing. That happened very often. And he did have talent. It wasn't like he was talentless. And he had the most engaging smile you've ever seen. He could just light up the room when he was on stage. And that was how uh, uh, Laura had met him in the first place. And she just fell in love with his onstage persona. And everybody that just knew him as on stage had nothing but good things to say about him. It was the people that knew him off stage that saw the many, many problems. And um, Grant was not stupid. Um, he um participated in what is known in these in custody cases like this as um, a race to the courthouse. Uh, it was, I think, about a year and a half that, and, and still had not re reached any resolution. And it started when Grant went to court and had a hearing 
outside of Laura's presence. And the judge gave a temporary order granting him full custody. And uh, what he did was say that a lot of the things that were wrong with him were actually wrong with Laura. And so he got that and a sheriff came to her house. He already had the older boy with him. The little boy was about two. Sheriff came to the house and forcibly removed him from his mother's arms. And I can't think of anything more traumatic for a two-year-old. And uh, then he was taken to his, to his father and now stepmother. Um, Laura did everything she could to make a good environment on the times that she had visitation with the boys. She found a place where she could rent uh, toys and, and other things for the kids when they came to visit. So she'd always have something fresh and new for them. She was an artist, so she worked on the drawing with them. And uh, she was just a, a lovely, lovely mother. And she really was go doing some self-improvement things. She got a mentor at the church to work with her and help her become more responsible and she was she was doing everything she had to do. Uh, when the psychiatrist interviewed her and looked at her life situation, she was very pleased. She said Laura was a little lacking in maturity and didn't have the best decision-making skills, but she was working to improve that. And then when she went to talk to... Um, Grant and see him interacting with the boys. It was like day and night. They do this thing where they put the child in a room with one parent and it's got a bunch of toys in it for them to play with. And when the parent leaves the room, when Laura left, there was a great deal of distress. When Grant left, there wasn't. When Laura came in, there was a just celebration of her return with Grant. He, the little boy just kept playing with his toys. I mean, he, he didn't mind it at all. And it, it really showed starkly the bonds that were there and the bonds that were missing. And in addition to that, they were, Amanda and Grant were always making it very difficult for Laura to visit with the kids anything outside of the every other weekend and then they'd work out something with she, when she could call and then a lot of times they would interfere with the phone call so they were making it very difficult for her and it and because of that very difficult for the little boys and she um but she kept fighting and she kept fighting for those kids and at one point, it was decreed that they'd spent half a week with her and half a week with him while the whole situation was still ongoing. And that didn't work real well either because of the exchange of the kids. They were living about an hour and a half apart, and that's always messy. But then the report came out from the psychiatrist. And... It was delivered to the judge. And if you read that report, 
it was very clear that the children probably shouldn't be with Grant unless it's supervised visitation. Um, there were there was so much wrong. There was talk from him and Amanda about they just wanted Laura out of their lives. They wanted to be free to travel with the boys and go wherever they wanted to go. And of course, you, you can't have visitation when one person's in one country and the other's halfway around the world, but they just wanted her gone. And they knew with that report that that was not what was going to happen. Things had just gotten very serious. And Grant um, told her after denying Wednesday night visits over and over again, told her, you can see the boys this Wednesday night. Why don't you come over here, come into Durham and um, into Raleigh rather, and visit with the boys. Well, she came that evening, but when she got there, the boys were in a room with their new baby sister from their that stepmother had given birth. And she sat down with Amanda and Grant and they laid a document in front of her and wanted her to sign it. Well, it gave custody to Amanda and Grant in exchange for $25,000. Laura was not the kind of woman who would sell her children, period. And, um, but Laura was also the kind of woman who had the sense enough to tape every single conversation she ever had with Grant or Amanda. So she had her little tape recorder with her and she was recording this conversation. We don't know because the recorder went missing. We do not know exactly what was said in that meeting, but putting bits and pieces together, it seems like Laura was threatened. There is a little puncture wound on the side of her neck that looks like a knife was pointed into her neck. And that's a possibility. And she signed the document under duress, I believe. And then there's this big thing of blood that was cleaned up with bleach right next to the door. I think at that point, Laura made a horrible mistake. She had signed that document, giving up custody of the boys, but then she turned around and said, but I've got it all on tape. That's what I think she did. I think that's why she was attacked right there by that door. And that is where she lost her life. Um, so now, of course, they <laughs> have to get rid of the corpse, and um, Grant goes on a shopping spree right after this, uh, like it was a local Home Depot. He bought uh, coolers. He bought a, uh, a saw, bought some saw blades, had discussions in the, in the store with, with the clerks there on what to buy. 
He bought uh, garbage bags. He he bought all sorts of cleaning supplies, and um, and it is believed that what he did was put her body in the bathtub in the main bathroom and locked it. Uh, the reason that is believed is because that place was cleaned with bleach. It was all the uh, little bathroom rug and the curtains were all missing. And uh, it just was too squeaky clean for a bathroom that was normally used by two little boys. And they, uh, there were no bath toys. All those things that should have been there with two little boys using that bathroom was not there. And they disposed of a lot of things that went to the dumpster. Um, and the big question is, did the oldest boy actually see what went on in that house? And we don't know. That is something that at his age, he would probably suppress even if he saw it, but it would be down there in his subconscious and how that is going to affect his development is anyone's guess. The fact of the matter is, this is a two bedroom apartment. They've got a body in it. No adult could live in that apartment while someone was taking an electric saw and sawing up a human body and, and not know what was going on. We don't know whether Laura attacked her or Gran attacked her or both of them attacked her simultaneously. We don't know how exactly she lost her life. But we did know this. Brent and Amanda were there. And at some point they involved Shay and got Shay to take the children out of the house. Now, do you, and, have, any re do you have any reason to believe that at that point that Shay takes the children, did she have any direct knowledge that this had happened? Obviously, she didn't participate, but did no, she? No, she, Shay didn't have any knowledge. All she knew was that her sister was kind of, her mother was kind of acting weird again. And one of the kids out of the house while they were getting packing because they, they were going on a trip. And so she did it and, and she got a little exasperated with the length of time it took because the kids were getting tired, they were getting hungry. So she took them to get something to eat, but then it was getting late. And it, it's not the easiest thing to cut up a human body if you're not experienced with it. It's messy, it's difficult, um, and, and it's smelly. And they wanted to get all of that mess put into these coolers for their plans to drive from Raleigh, North Carolina, all the way across country to Texas. Now, did they, and they had the kids with them, the two boys, and Lily, I would assume, the young child of, yes. of Grant and Amanda. They were pulling a U-Haul uh, I, I use tow as a, as a, you know, euphemism, but so everyone, yeah. the entire... Aunt Fami was doing, you know, a European vacation or something with with these coolers in and but you say I think it was in a trailer. They had hooked a trailer because of yeah. Um, they also oh. had a 
piece of family furniture that Amanda was giving. And the coolers were placed behind that, trying to hide it. So if anybody looked in the trailer, they wouldn't see it. And, and, and the reason even questioning came up from Karen when they showed up is by now there was, it was wild, well, widely known at home from the legal, from the law standpoint, there was a missing person. And, and Karen was aware that uh, Laura was missing. Is that, yes. I got that correct? So she had, su- she, whatever, someplace in her subconscious asked her to ask the question, you know, what do you know about Laura? She, you know, we saw in the papers or even in Texas, we know there's a missing mom. And so we know who she is. She's related. She's involved with you. Uh, do you know anything about it? And that's when, you know. That they were not supposed to take the children out of state. And there they were many states away. And uh, you, you can't, I can't understand why they felt a need to drive that far. Um, yeah, I gave them a good cover story with delivering a piece of furniture and visiting family. But heaven knows, along Route 10, running next to the Gulf, there are a million great places to ditch body parts. You know, there's swamps, there's gators, there's all sorts of things. And so I don't know why they didn't think to do that. But instead, they go to someone who has a distinct connection with them in order to dispose of Laura's body. And they sit on the porch. I'm making this up, having iced tea, talking about what is on, or Grant's doing this mostly, what is on the property that might work. You know, do you got a, do you got a septic tank? Do you have a well? Uh, and then there's a, there's a, 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 a river or a stream. And gee, are there gators in there? Do you have pigs over here? This is something I learned on another case. I didn't know pigs ate people, but well, hogs. Yes. Guess hogs will eat people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and so there were hogs nearby, maybe, or something. So hogs little, will eat anything. This little conversation. Am I wrong? Is this what's happening? Yes, yes, and there, and poor Karen, um, I think she's getting these weird vibes and she's knowing something's wrong, but this is family. So she's trying to keep it together. Um, but who comes and asks about your septic tank? Who wants to look at your septic tank? I mean, you know, I, I don't think I've ever gone to a family member's house and asked to do that. and. Um, and then they wanted to go fishing and there was a boat and um, it was dark and Karen was going, well, you know, you don't know the area down there. It's not the best idea, but they were, they were insistent and they borrowed the boat and uh, loaded it with the containers that had Laura in them and rowed out into this river where they knew there were alligators and they dumped the contents of the container and I guess just hope for the best. Um, before they did that though, they had bought some acid and tried to uh, pour acid on the remains, but it didn't work so good. So that, that didn't work. They, the, uh, their nephews who captured wild boars 
and put them in a pan um, as sort of animal control thing. Uh, they didn't have any boars there at the time. So that was out. And so they went to the river. So the comps, uh, very shortly after all this happens, do show up at, at Karen's uh, farm. Um, how do they track uh, Amanda and Grant uh, to Karen's place? The ironic thing was that uh, Grant made a really stupid mistake. When he answered the phone and there was a cop on the other end, they asked him where he was and he said, oh, I got this bad signal. I'm about out in the boonies near Raleigh. And the cop said, I didn't think there were any boonies near Raleigh, but they, they, they pinged his phone and found that he was actually in Texas. So then the detectives decide that's where they're going. Well, they happened to pass Grant, Amanda, and kids coming back to Raleigh while they went to Texas and didn't know it. When they got there, they talked to Karen. And by now, Karen has put enough pieces together that she's deeply concerned. And Karen is essentially a very honest woman. And um, she is a God-fearing woman. And she asked, can I pray before I talk to you? And they let her do that. And then she spilled out everything that was going on. So they got people to search the river. Um, there was a problem around where the body parts were. And that was, it was very overgrown with water lilies. And they were constantly fighting the water lilies to pull out the remains of Laura. It took them two days and they didn't, still didn't find anything. Um, a couple of weeks later, uh, some parts of her body were found bumped up at a dam. So um, it was, it was a horrible thing. It was 100 degrees. And I don't know if you've ever been in Texas, but 100 degrees in Texas is a heck of a lot hotter than 100 degrees in the mid-Atlantic. And in the water with all the mosquitoes and so that had to be a horrible, horrible job to recover her body. Uh, God bless the men that did it. And... Uh, and of course, Karen was appalled. I mean, she knew something was wrong, but this was a step too far. And she started wondering, you know, how could Amanda implicate her in this? So she became a willing witness for the prosecution. And as you say, it's, it's covered in the book, um, uh, but it was appalling and graphic. The one thing that I... <clears throat> sort of put in my mind and said, you know, tried to visualize that they, I guess when they, at one point, either while they brought it up, after they brought it up, they, they find, they did find the skull uh, because before that they were looking for a limb that, that might've still had a skin on it that had a tattoo. So that would be the identifying, but once you get ahead, you get dental and, and whatnot, but the face sort of like just peeled off because it had been in the oh, yeah. You know, and I that mean, that was well, the, yeah. the, 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 the divers that do this stuff all the time. It, it like you said, God bless them. Uh, but I, I, it's just, I, we will at the end because I love your, your afterward where you, you do a little bit. We all have to do this. I've done enough of these that you try to understand and, mm -hmm. and the understanding of the, of the passion of the murder. And then I'd step away from it. My God, what have I done? 
but to plan, plot, and carry out sawing up a woman. I don't know what she meant to you, to tell you the truth. She made babies for you. I don't know. But to, ch to chop up, yes, deceased, but another human being. So obviously they both get um, charged and they go through the grand jury and they go through you know the, the prelims, whatever, and there is a, a trial. The trial is a big portion of the book and it's better than most covering of trials, let me tell you, in bitter remains that you get without giving, you know, pages and pages of, of transcript, you, you give the sense of what each lawyer was doing, what each defense, what each witness uh, did, giving us enough of a flavor of, of which way the, the, the trial might go. Let me just ask you, was there any video of it? Uh, was it ever, uh, uh, you know, televised, even if not live? Was there, was there, uh, there was, yes, because um, I think WRAL at Raleigh had uh, put it online. I don't think it was on TV, but it was online. Online, okay. Um, so we we get to trial, and again, based on on all the things we've talked about, becomes evidence. Uh, as far as the purchasing and and the and the bleach in the in the house and and various witnesses certainly Karen the uh, and and uh, Shay giving testimony of what they knew uh, um that there wasn't a big doubt in my mind as I'm reading it uh and also knowing the outcome but reading it that um Grant gets convicted of first degree murder and yes. uh it, because it was where it was if it had been Texas of course uh, he would have gotten the chair but or whatever the uh, lethal injection, but he was given life without parole. One of the things that came out was a song he had written, basically a song that was based, was talking about killing Laura. And um, it was written before the act was committed, but it definitely showed uh, the animus and the pre-planning that went into this. Now, the, the song is called Broomstick Rider. And as it played in the courtroom, Grant is seen uh, bopping his head to the beat. The lyrics include the following lines. My baby's mama, don't talk to me. Don't want your drama. I got two kids by you. I can't take any more from you. I would wake up every morning hoping one of us would go, but not me, because I'm paying the bills. Find another sugar daddy in a wallet with bills, because I know that you will when you've finished trying to take my kids. That's how you is. And then she wants me to pay her? You've lost your damn mind. I put a price tag on your head. That's right. You must have told your attorney, I got intentions on killing you. What? Might stop me, but my bullets will get you soon. I got my goons from way back. They still owe me money. Now ain't that funny? Um, my apologies. I'm not much of a rapper. And <laughs> so not surprisingly, Grant is convicted and gets a sentence of life without parole because there was not um, 
the death penalty in that state. Had it been Texas, would have been a different story. And so Amanda goes on trial second, and uh, because uh, and she decides to testify for herself. And again, this can be found online. I mean, on, in YouTube, you can see the entire trial, but also very interesting her testimony. Right from the very beginning, she throws everyone under the bus. She throws Grant under the bus. She throws her sister Karen under the bus. She claims she did not know that uh, Laura was killed. Uh, she does not know uh, what Grant did with the body. She, the, she claims she only knew about what was going on when she reached her sister's house. And late one night, Grant told her, you know, that he had Laura's uh, body in, in the car. So she, of course, just, uh, you know, that was her story. And uh, she stuck to it. Um, yes, sir. Um, we had all gone to bed about the same time. Um, Grant went to bed with me and the kids, or the kids actually might have already been in bed. Um, and... Um, at some point, I, something woke me up and I looked out the window and I saw car lights and um, it looked like they were leaving and I saw Grant walk across the yard and um, I got up and I went to the bathroom and um, I went outside to see what he was doing and I didn't see him at first and um, I called to him and he was in the trailer and I could tell that I kind of scared him and he came out of the trailer and he closed the door and um, he had a machete that was on the, the bumper of the trailer and he got it and he told me that there were a lot of animals out there and I was like, well, duh, you're in the country. And um, we walked over to my nephew's Shelton, his truck, um, and we sat down on the tailgate and Grant lit a cigarette. And um, he, told, he had told me that, because um, I told him, I asked him, you know, he should probably come in and try to go to sleep so he could be up tomorrow. Because G Grant generally was up all night. That was just kind of his schedule. Um, and so I was really trying to get him so he could get up tomorrow and be around people versus sleeping all day. Um, and he told me that um, he was trying to figure some stuff out. And... Um, I asked him like what and he will I mean I'll never forget it he was smoking a cigarette and he was like really calm and he looked at me and he said what would you say if I said if I told you Laura was dead and I was like you know I was like what and basically he told me that um, the night that Laura had come over to the house that she had died and that whenever I left that he just panicked and freaked out and I got I started freaking out and I was asking him why he didn't call the cops will call for help like he told me he was going to and he told me that um, he got scared that he was a black man with a dead white woman and nobody was gonna believe him that it was an accident and that he had taken her to Kinston and um, and then he stopped himself and he told me that he shouldn't be telling me any of that stuff and then um, he had told me that the Kinston police called. And so I assumed that the Kinst that, that they found Laura's body since he told me that he took her to Kinston. And anyway, I was freaking out and he had the machete and he whacked me on the leg and he told me to shut the F up and that this was not the time for me to start challenging him. And that um, 
um, he told me that I didn't understand because I said something about the cops finding her and he said no I didn't understand and he told me that um, um, that I had to help him figure out how to get rid of this body or else none of us were making it back to North Carolina to Raleigh. So despite her uh, performance on the stand, there was a lot of tears and I was the victim and woe is me, she does get convicted, uh, but of second degree murder rather than first degree murder, which Grant was convicted of. So she got a you know appropriate uh, sentence based on that. And Amanda was given a sentence of 13 to 16 years, which seemed like a travesty. Now, uh, you also talk about the, uh, and there are other books that get really into minutia about what went on in a jury room, and it's not important. But I think what is, you know, in, uh, instructive for us who've never either been on a jury or, or had one sit in judgment of us, that the jury originally had nine uh, votes for first degree murder of Amanda. They had two that were holding out for acquittal and one who was at that point undecided. So they had a nine to three going on. And amongst them, amongst the nine, or amongst even all of them, they said, we don't want a hung jury. That's our only option if we can't agree, because the nine aren't going to go for acquittal. So how do we pull the three, the two uh, holding, the two acquittals and the one holding out, how do we pull them to us? And they realized, I'm assuming, in discussion, that the, everyone was willing was comfortable, not well, was comfortable with second degree murder because they had no proof she laid hands. So Texas didn't uh, like that too much. So they decided, well, let's extradite Miss Amanda and we will charge her with desecration of a human body. They did. And she was convicted and got another 20 years in prison which made the overall sentence pretty appropriate. She'll be in North Carolina prison till I think 2025. And then she'll go to Texas to serve another 20 years. Now, uh, were, you, uh, were you covering or, or following this in real time or afterwards, the case? I, um, I picked up on this right before the trial started. And so I started digging into all the background and um, then I watched the, the trial online and I talked to a lot of different people. And it was, I don't know, some of the things that I talked to friends of Grant and some of the things that came out of his mouth, it was hard to understand how they even fit into the little boxes in his head. He was one strange character. I think we can all agree that Grant was a psychopath and a heartless killer. And yet up to that point, he's got, you know, and again, Ted Bundy did some of that too, of having a, a you know, a regular life, but he had a life and, a, and he, he was going to be a singer and he was going to do this and do that. And, you know, so you can focus just on the violence uh, of, that someone can have. But as you point out in your afterward, to try to understand how, no matter how uh, uncontrolled anger or uh, how you must get even on things and revenge and all that, 
how that crosses over into action on a quote unquote loved one. Because Grant did not understand the meaning of love because he was incapable of loving anyone but himself. And there we are. There we are. Now, and there Laura was in the most dangerous time of any woman's life. Right. The, the time that she plans to leave and when she actually leaves, two years on either side of it, that's what a woman's life is at most danger. And with someone like Grant, the danger was fatal. The sad, sad thing is so many of these women who have been abused have developed a belief system that says, if only I was better, if only I did this, or if only I did that, he wouldn't hurt me anymore. It's, it's a blindness that ultimately can kill. And it's, it's sad that these women have been brought down so low by this man that they look at it as something they probably deserve because of their behavior. And nothing could be further than the truth. No woman deserves to be battered by a man, ever. And the thing I think that's sad in her case, I'm sometimes she's dead, uh, but even within that, is that she focused on custody. And so she had no, she had no desire to get back with him in a living situation. Yeah. So that's again different. I mean, a little different than some of them is that she had made that break um, probably much earlier because of his probably, again, his, his strangeness that had nothing to do with treatment of her aliens and, and drug abuse and all that, um, and, you know, shooting BB guns at her and all that. I don't know how anyone could say, well, that if, I'm, if I do the dishes better, he won't shoot me, BB guns. So she had come, she was now on the road to being a, a healthier person if she had yes. gotten the kids and, and could escape him, which that's the other part. The only way to, because he obviously, if she won and went off to, to Seattle or something, she'd be, she'd be uh, you know, stalked the rest of her life. And the sad thing is, is two little boys lost a very loving mother who cared for them very much. A woman who had the moral fiber to never consider killing their father. She would have never done something like that because she knew that for all of his flaws, he was important to those boys. Grant's parents took all three of the children. Their aunt Shay watches over them and comes and visits them, send them Christmas presents. So they do have her as a constant too. And her eyes are fully open. Um, she at first, she didn't want to believe her mother was involved, but she came to accept that. And uh, she just said she was going to be there for the kids, particularly for Lily, because both of Lily's parents were in prison and she'd probably never see them. Right. And what's appalling is that they're actually members of Congress who voted against the Violence Against Women Act. Yes. They should not be there. They represent women in their constituency. So Diane, why don't you tell us about uh, how people can get in touch with you? Certainly they can find your books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, 
your local library, which I found one of them at. It was just the quickest way to get it. But and websites and whatever. Why don't you tell my audience? Our webs- my website is uh, dianefanning.com. Real simple. Just don't put two ends in Diane. Um, but the, uh, I'm also, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Um, check out my books, ask me questions. I'm pretty easy to get in contact with. So, and, and you know that, and this one again, I did purchase. So what do you get, a buck 50, 175? Uh, probably, uh, probably more like 60 cents. I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> I have actor friends, uh, and they'll often, you know, take a picture, put on on some movie they were in a hundred years ago, and they just got their sixty cents, a, yeah. a, check, a check from Warner Brothers for sixty cents from Blues Brothers or something, where they were the fourth, you know, idiot in the background falling off the the, the uh, balcony. Um, so again, Diane, this has been a pleasure. I'll go read some more books. And I'm sure we'll be back to this again. So once again, folks, that's Diane with one N, Fanning with two Ns, dot com, and on Facebook, Diane Fanning. And so again, once again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for joining me today, Diane. Thanks for having me today, Jim. It's not my habit on Murder Most Foul to get on a soapbox about anything. But as a father and former advocate for victims of domestic violence, I'll make an exception this time. If you are being abused, controlled, stalked, or if you know someone who is, please seek help. Every community has resources to help you escape a violent relationship. To friends of victims who say, I don't want to butt in. You are no friend. And ultimately, you are complicit in whatever bad happens. Finally, to the victims. I know you are scared. But if you have children, think of them. Be brave for them and get the help you need. The help you and they deserve.